It's WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody. And welcome to the Upfront program for this um, Tuesday morning. This is uh, one of those Tuesdays in the month where um, we have a council meeting the night before. And we invite one of the uh, six council members that talks to me uh, to the program. And uh, they... um, they come on the program and and we ask some questions about um, what happened the night before and uh, sometimes it can be a little puzzling and i'll tell you when you add the zoom factor into uh the meeting where you don't get the audio uh as clear as uh, you would if you are you know watching on cable tv with the regular cameras and microphones and then you add in uh, the kithis uh, factor um and and then you add in coronavirus, and then you add in uh, the protest factor. Man, that's damn right confusing. That's, that's all I can say. Good morning, Mr. Ward. Well, good morning, Roger. Good morning, everyone out there listening. Uh-huh. Um, I just want to compliment the WNRI management. Uh, it's been since a, a while since I've been here, and I noticed they replaced all of the headphones. You got rid of the mm-hmm. Jet Blue $3, buy them as you get on the plane headphones, and you mm-hmm. bought actual Mm-hmm. Full-size headphones. Yes. It's wonderful. Right. right. Um, there was a sale at Ocean State Job Lot, and uh, we bought them. <laughs> Excellent. And thank you. I'm glad you're impressed. <laughs> I am. So thank you, and welcome to our program. Our first question of the day is pretty much what we do is you're the editor at the Breeze or the Call and so forth, and you're looking at the entire body of the Woonsocket City Council meeting, and uh, what would you run as the lead story for the council, well, the, probably the most significant event um, of the evening. But we'll we'll touch on all of them before we're finished. But um, uh, give me a give me a chance to lead off. Go ahead. I'm not sure you have that much time um, to deal with all of them, but there are two. The, the 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 first one is the first one that came up on the agenda had to do with the fact that the mayor had vetoed the council's budget amendments uh, that were proposed, um, specifically the budget amendment that was proposed by Jim Canoyer in collaboration with other members of the council um, to move a lot of money into the contingency accounts so that any use of that money would be subject to council approval. Um, the second, I think, issue that really turned into a, uh, a bit of an explosive discussion had to do with the resolution that Councilman Canoyer had introduced to set up a uh, advisory committee to study our local laws and regulations to find out if there was anything that had any um, any bias against any particular group, whether it's racial, uh, sexual orientation, um, sexual identity, anything of that nature, gender identity, uh, any anything that would be considered biased against any particular group and not neutral. Um, that turned into a rather lengthy discussion um, because... There is a group in the city called Watch, Watch Coalition. They're part of the group that have been protesting um, in coordination with Black Lives Matter uh, about current issues and looking for um, looking for the, the way we do business to change. And I'm absolutely certain that there are issues that they have to want to address there that do need to be considered and modified. Um, through a discussion and, and a review of what we do versus what we should do in certain situations. So, um, that group had sent the council an email at quarter to seven, and Councilman Kith has picked up on that and introduced amendments that would basically restrict the council to not actually appointing who the council chooses to this advisory committee, but it would, it would limit the scope to a selected number of each individual identity group so that there would be a complete representation. Uh, some on the council, including myself, took offense to being told that we were not either intelligent or sensitive enough to the to the community to recognize what we should probably do with this advisory committee in terms of appointments and rather be told what we were going to do. And so it turned into a rather heated discussion, uh, which culminated in what I'm sure some of the recordings you're going to be playing in news cycles over the next several days people will get to hear. Um, so, as it turned out, we ended up with a modest amendment to take out one of the whereases that were a little bit uh, 
maybe hostile in tone or could be inferred to be hostile in tone uh, was taken out and the resolution was approved and we'll be looking for people to volunteer for this advisory group and Mr. Kithis's amendment was shot down though I'm confident we want to communicate with the Watch Coalition before this is over to make sure we get the necessary input to select a good group of people who can do the job well. So, do we know who's going to be on this advisory board? No idea. Mm-hmm. The whole point of it is the resolution calls for the clerk um, to accept um, to accept application, or not application mm-hmm. in a formal way, but uh, accept the names of those people who express an interest with necessary information for a decision to be made. So they can come forward. They so will. they can come forward, absolutely. Sure. And, and any member of any group um, who feels that it would be that they could contribute mm-hmm. um, should feel welcome to sign up. Now we have a caller online, but for those who can't spend a lot of time with us, I'm going to go back. You you brought up two topics. One was the the veto message, and also the advisory board. We've talked a little bit about the advisory board. Just for the benefit of our audience, the mayor. Did the mayor veto the entire budget, or did she uh, uh, veto parts of it? Did she get her way on any of it? Explain what the veto situation was about. Her veto, there were actually three parts. Two veto messages um, related to the budget. Uh, The first one actually had two parts to it. The first part was a veto of the council amendment that Councilman Conoyer had coordinated um, into one big amendment. Uh, that veto was overridden separately. The second veto was a veto of the amendment that had been proposed and was approved by Councilman. It was proposed by Councilman Kithis and was approved um, by the council. The mayor vetoed that. It had to do with transferring money to the library for books um, and one other modest amendment. Um, and the mayor vetoed that as a separate veto within the same message. And that veto was not overridden uh, because the vote was four to three, and you need a five to two vote to override a veto. So the library transfer was not uh, that the mayor vetoed uh, was not overridden, and so Councilman Kithis's budget amendment was is ultimately no longer in play, um, and so the the money won't be going to the library. However, having had conversations with other council members about this, there's nothing to prevent. Um, the library board or the library administration from coming back to ask the council to move money out of contingency to deal with any issues they have with meeting their needs. So clearly that's never off the table. It's just a question of timing more than anything else. And I think the people who voted against override um, expressed it in the terms of the uncertainty of the state's budget in the future because of circumstances in play right now. What was the third component? Oh, the third one. The third one had to do with the change in the tax rates, where the mayor had uh, proposed a 1% tax rate decrease for both residential and commercial. Um, Councilman Canoyer had proposed a resolution, uh, an amendment that modified the rates so that the commercial rate was decreased to a larger amount. The residential rate was decreased to a slightly lesser amount. Uh, The mayor disagreed with the the logic of it. However, uh, the majority of the council agreed to um, override the veto, her veto of that amendment for the rates. Okay, so the mayor was, uh, I guess she was partially successful on the on the book deal uh, for the library. Well, yes and no. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I, I think, mean, indirectly. Indirectly, but <laughs> right. I, th- I think the, the rest of the council. But is, other than that, uh, everything was sustained. Uh, but I think the sustained. rest of the council necessarily didn't disagree with giving the library money mm-hmm. for more books. But because they have a maintenance of effort requirement under state law, yeah. too, and because the, the this question about how, how the mm-hmm. state budget will be created um, next year, they were concerned about whether or not the money we have available to us, you know, we will have to set priorities on to what to how to deal with the state budget next year. All they have to do is ask, right? They have to. They simply have to ask, and it will be measured against other issues and priorities that we're challenged with based on um, based on what the state budget looks like. It's the upfront program. Let's grab that call now that we've covered those two bases. Hello there. Your question or comment? Good morning, Marjorie. Good morning, Councilman Ward. How are you? Good morning. Good. Candidate so, uh, and Sherry. Not yet. <laughs> oh, he's a private citizen, yeah, man. Uh, uh, right. He's not, right. Signed, so. Undeclared, yeah. but right. undeclared, he's, but intended. He's not certified. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, 
Yeah, so the comment that I have um, was I was a little bit disappointed with how the meeting was run last night. Obviously, I know we're doing things differently with Zoom, but um, I don't understand why citizens are still not allowed to comment, uh, even though it's been done on Zoom electronically. Um, it seems like citizens should be allowed to sign on, uh, give their comments for five minutes, and then you can always uh, mute them on and, and you know, after that point. Um, and I think that's kind of the frustration that some people had with uh, sending in an email 15 minutes before, but I think you need to put it into a context where people probably would have gone to that meeting um, and given some comments about, about the legislation, which, you know, as you know, have been done for years. I mean, people have always gone to council meetings and said, you know, this is the changes that we want to see, and, and we've always made those changes or at least tabled it and maybe thought about it a little bit more. So I think that's the frustration that people have with, you know, uh, trying to understand how to you know, run government in, in, in these kind of days. But um, I don't think that there should be a time limit, whereas you need to send it in, you know, a day before. Obviously, it would have been more convenient, and I always felt that way, too, that, you know, people send in their comments a day or two before. It would be great, but I didn't want to dismiss somebody's comment just because they came to a meeting and said, this is what I think we should do. Um, so I think, you know, going forward, I mean, I don't know how many more of these Zoom meetings you're going to have. I mean, hopefully we can get back to... I wish it were none. Yeah, I wish it was over, too. <laughs> Um, you know, I, th I just, I totally disagree that the citizens shouldn't be allowed to comment as well, too, and, and to give their voice because, I mean, they are, they're the employers in this situation. I mean, the council is the employees. So I was a little bit taken back that there was so much dialogue back and forth telling the employer, you know, how they should con contact their employees. So I don't know if you want to comment on that or not, but um, I No, I, I, I... I understand where you're coming from. The only thing I'm cautious about with these Zoom meetings is what happened to the city of Providence when they were doing their public hearing, I believe, on the budget. And it, it gets hijacked by people who will get the microphone and start doing things that are inappropriate and saying things that are inappropriate. And it's always a risk that you'll, when you open up the microphones to anybody that it, it can get hijacked. And so... You know, back in the day when the original charter was set up, it was set up with this with this ability to petition the council. And the other part of it that became important was that an ordinance couldn't be passed except at two consecutive regular meetings, which basically gave a person at a minimum 10 days or two, actually two weeks um, between the first passage and the second, where they could voice their opinion and cons con uh, communicate with their council. There was no good and welfare. And the way they could get a, uh, an audience or or a, an ability to speak in public about the matter was to petition the council to be put on the agenda to speak. And that's how mechanically it was set up back when it was originally designed, so that nothing could be sort of run, run through without the public having an opportunity to have input by petitioning the council to speak and giving them an amount of time between first and second passage that they would become aware of something that they may have an opinion on. Uh, the public comment thing has turned into what we see now, which is that everybody expects to be a member of the council. Um, frankly, it's it's a little uncomfortable and, and can create um, problems in that uh, people will object because they weren't listened to, quote-unquote, um, despite the fact that the majority of the council may have a different opinion about something. So, in fact, um, you know, yes, they are the employers, um, and they, assign, they appoint us as their agents to act on their behalf. And, you know, frankly, there are many means of communicating with people, whether today, now, whether it's through phone calls, emails, um, text messages, uh, Facebook posts, a variety of means. And um, though I, I don't, you know, I, I don't object necessarily to public comment, uh, it's rare that people come to a microphone at the last minute and say something about an issue and actually change the dynamic of the, of the discussion. But it's possible that an idea hasn't been thought of, and, and many times it will lead to tabling and further discussion. But um, Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of what they're I, I think that the, the technical awkwardness on Zoom of trying to manage public comment uh, makes it something that's very difficult to handle. That was a long answer. I only give long answers. <laughs> you invited me. Well, if you don't like um, it, sure I can stay away. Uh, are handling it, too. I mean, I guess it is possible to have a citizens to the welfare section where the general public can sign on, and then you can always kick them out. I mean, there's always an administrator to these kind of things. 
you know, so they don't have to stay on for the whole meeting. Like I said, the administration administrator can also uh, mute the people for the rest of the meeting uh, as well, too. But you're correct. Uh, so I just you're correct. Was a, you know, I, I don't see what the urgency was with passing the resolution since we do have time. I think we'll be talking about this topic for you know quite some time. Yes, so sir. We have. We just wanted to have more more input, as, and that's all. Anything else, sir? That's it. I'll let you go um, get on with the meeting. <clears throat> okay. And best of luck in your uh, decision-making process. You're on the Upfront program. It's break time. Be back in a moment. Hey, the Roast House is open. The Roast House is open for dining seven days a week from 11.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. And we're featuring outside dining and, of course, takeout. Be listening soon for information on inside dining as Massachusetts permits. To make a reservation to dine outside or place a takeout order at the Roast House, call 508-883-7700 and check our menu on the Internet at RoastHouse.com. Thank you for your support during this period of transition. The Roast House Palm Street Blackstone welcomes back old and new customers. Inside and outside dining also available in Pawtucket. Wright's Dairy Farms milk, 2% whole milk and skim milk, and it's fresh every day. And we're open seven days a week, so whenever you want it, it's available. Fresh from the cows, milk daily from 3 to 5 p.m. Wright's Dairy Farm, home of great ice cream and, of course, our flavored milk, including that delicious chocolate milk. Come on in to Wright's Dairy Farm for our fresh dairy products. Open seven days a week, 200 Winsocket Hill Road, North Spitfield. Scott McGee of REMAX Properties brings his years of real estate experience to you, whether buying or selling. Check out this property currently on the market from the McGee team. Beautiful property here on uh, 3rd Avenue, built in 2004. Relatively new home uh, by uh, home building standards. At 279, it is a new listing. And uh, Scott uh, writes to me, uh, Roger, tell them this is a fantastic raised ranch. With a double car garage featuring three bedrooms and two full bathrooms and bonus space, too, throughout the property. And uh, it's right near um, on 3rd Avenue. Um, it's near the friendly home. It's uh, So it's very easy to get to North Smithfield by uh, going up the hill and easy to get into the downtown district by going down the hill. 3rd Avenue is where this property is, and Scott McGee would like to show it to you. We are still doing at-door shopping at Champs Liquors for Keyway. We have our great specials on wine, but um, it's still door transactions. We'll get the product for you. Champs Liquors for Keyway, 481 Clinton Street, Woonsocket. Still on sale, Tisdale Wines from California. In six varieties, including a Pinot Grigio, Merlot, Cabernet, White Zinfandel, Chardonnay, and a Moscato. And yes, it's still two bottles for $10. Share in life's endless possibilities with Tisdale Vineyards of California. Quality wine. And the sale goes on on Kettle Vodka, $32.99 for the one 1.75 liter bottle and Bacardi rum. The 1.75 liter bottle is only $23.99. And we continue the best price in town on Bud and Bud Light. 30 pack, $25.50 plus tax. Champs Liquors for Keyway does high rise and senior complex delivery service too. Champs Liquors for Keyway, Clinton Street, Woonsocket. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, we're back to the Upfront program, and uh, Council Member John Ward is with us, and uh, he is uh, one of the uh, rotating council members that joins us on the program, and we're doing council business uh, first of all, and uh, we talked about uh, the veto uh, efforts by uh, the uh, mayor last night. Uh, that wasn't uh, too successful. She'll probably have her own view of that tomorrow when she's here. And also the advisory committee... And uh, just a one quick question on the advisory committee. Do I understand that uh, there are numerous uh, handbooks and and rules and regulations written down somewhere that this committee is going to study? What is it that they're going to uh, look at? I know they're not going to just look at the charter. No, they won't just look at the charter. They'll be looking at the full code of ordinances that could take a very long time, quite frankly, mm-hmm. um, because there's many sections to it, including all of zoning all of the personnel ordinance. Um, those are fairly lengthy documents by themselves. But on top of that, there are forms to be filled out. There are permit fee structures to be looked at in terms of, for, of affordability 
and allowance for access for all parties and whether or not how these things are structured are, are limiting to certain populations and not others. So it's a, it's a huge undertaking, actually, and I'm not sure it could be done in the time frame that the resolution hoped for. But it, uh, it, it's a, it will be a formidable task for anybody that looks to participate. Now, here's a uh, topic that you've been on uh, following uh, for the uh, purposes of our uh, general public like me, uh, and that is the industrial park and the industrial development foundation for such as it is. Could you explain uh, what is going on? I know it was on the gender in some uh, in some form last night. Can you explain um, what is going on with industrial uh, development or economic development at that park? What role does Woonsocket play? How private is uh, an enterprise is uh, Highland? So what role do we play, uh, if any role at all? And can I answer that? Well, no. Um, you wanted short answers, right? <laughs> well, I want, I want answers. Uh, just kidding. I just explain. You uh, want the truth. Yes, nothing but the truth, so help me. Well, you can't handle the truth. Um, the 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 issue with the industrial park had to do with the fact that they set it up as a redevelopment zone, and the redevelop therefore the redevelopment agency would take control of doing much of the planning and have legal authorities under state law. But in fact, there are four parcels up there that aren't developed, and then there's the um, desire to get the access road as an outlet for traffic congestion uh, that was developed in coordination with a, with a piece of the property that Ray Bork was trying to sell. Um, which is in play now with the uh, hopes that Resch will come to the city of Woonsocket, as has been recently discussed. Um, and basically, the Economic Development Foundation, um, I guess, I don't know the best way to describe it, but there are certain, there are certain deed restrictions on property up there that, that are controlled through Economic Development Foundation um, that makes them sort of like a condo coordinator, administrator. I guess is the best, a simple way to characterize it. I'm sure it's inaccurate to a certain point. So um, there's parcels to be developed, and they wanted to let the economic, uh, the redevelopment agency work on doing that work and getting things done. I don't know what's in play with the four slice, slices of land in the industrial park. Uh, the only thing they've done so far is the parcel that's actually not part of the industrial park that Resch is looking at. Um, and now it looks like the property just next door to Resch, which is also not in the industrial park, is being proposed as a uh, development for solar farm. So um, the council last night basically rescinded the ordinance that established the, um, the redevelopment zone that had been established by the council back in 2015. Or 6.15, I guess. So is this an effort by the council to uh, relinquish the authority of uh, a quasi-agency and put it more in... Uh, in the hands of the council. In the council. Much, okay. of, much of what was being done mm -hmm. in that regard were things that could have been easily done with the council's cooperation and the council working with the council. And um, as became evident in the recent dust-up over the publicity around the... Um, the issue of Resch coming in and the uh, press release sort of blindsiding council members, um, it, it's, it's something that was done as a reaction to the fact that we're sort of left in the dark too often. And mm -hmm. frankly, um, this will hopefully require then that the city council be more involved in these. John Ward is with us. He's a member of the council. We have some callers waiting. Hello there. Your comment from Mr. Ward, please. Morning, John. Morning, Roger. Good John, morning. Sir. Thanks for articulating that because uh, most people wouldn't know that those two parcels you're talking about are not part of the industrial park. And the road is basically a Scott Gibbs uh, wish list to, uh, to get his Cumberland side uh, a second means of egress. And, you know, I want to remind people out there, and you know it extremely well, that when we just put in that $1 million interconnect uh, into Cumberland and, and got the easement from Mr. Bork after after he wanted to donate $100,000 to Lisa's campaign, uh, and it was supposed to be paid for by the sale and tax revenue coming from the five remaining parcels on the Woonsocket side, of which none have been aggressively pursued to sell 
with no revenue coming, and yet we've had a massive expansion in both industrial and residential on the Cumberland side. Uh, so I think Mr. Gibbs takes care of Mr. Gibbs. Yes, that's what I was going to follow up on. Are you saying that Mr. Gibbs, who's right now working for the city of Woonsocket uh, in some capacity, uh, has uh, more interest in developing the Cumberland side of Highland than the Woonsocket side? Is, uh, can, can I draw that from your comments? I hope so, if I articulated it well. <laughs> you, you articulated it well. Okay, right. and that's the case. And the last time Scott Gibbs was here, who knows what he did, but it didn't meet his, uh, it didn't meet his long-range goals. So despite him being a consultant and getting paid, his longevity was brief because he didn't get what he wanted. And now he's coming back mm -hmm. to make another effort, and this time as a, a planning director. Mr. Rewood, do you concur with what this gentleman is saying? I, uh, well, he he has he has a certain charm in how he communicates his his points of view, and so the he being um, the caller Ro or Mr. Ro Gibbs? Roland, Roland, uh -huh. okay. Um, and uh, it's I, not I, a political I, charm. <laughs> it's not charm at all. It was it was point blank. It, it is. It's, it, yeah, I, I refer to people like that as a blunt but instrument. Back to the question: Do you generally agree uh, with in, what he's saying? Well, in general, but I have to say this: uh, for anybody that's marketing property, when you have when you have a single property that that spans two different communities that have such significantly different tax rates for commercial development, uh, one side clearly is easier to market than the other, which is part of why the council chose to attempt to lower the commercial tax rate a little bit as a as a gesture to move the needle a little bit closer to balance though it's so distorted it's hard to it's hard to market that way um and uh yeah it's easier to market cumberland than it is to market well, clearly anyway because even as this mr rush comes in the council has and previous councils have done the same thing knowing the fact ahead of time that the five remaining parcels in one socket were obviously the least attractive that's why they're the last five including under power lines, and yet we just uh, acceded to Mr. Gibbs' demands. But by all means, I don't see any Wasaka Council as not being uh, uh, courteous to anybody who wants to come into the town as far as a tax agreement or mm -hmm. something to get them here. No, no, absolutely. Even though we both agree that the commercial rate is egregiously high. But, but, but then and you, I think you did the right thing. You, you then, you call it. Yeah, and then when you, have, when you have those kinds of differentials, you simply have to find ways to make an accommodation to attract the business and set up something. And, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The one thing, so, that, biz, the one thing that businesses need is predictability and stability. Uh, in order to attract them to a space. If they come into a place where there's a volatility to rates, there's a volatility to values, there's a volatility to, to how they're treated generally in the political realm, um, it becomes very difficult to convince them that this is the place you want they want to go. The purpose of my call was, and I read in the paper a comment on by you, and I'm not going to hold you to it because I know all too often that uh, they're inaccurate. Uh, you had initiated or insinuated that the possibility existed upon certain circumstances of the reinstatement of a budget commission. Uh, had you said something like that? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I did what about a budget commission? I read in the, in the newspaper that just, and it was the last paragraph, that if things continue to go, continue going the way they are and uh, there's a potential one socket could go back under the auspices of a budget commission. Well, let me be clear. I would never vote for a resolution to invite a budget commission back ever again Good. as long as I'm alive. Um, Thank you. So then you can you can take that to the bank. However, if I did say that, it was simply because of the fact that the state budget next year is such an unknown. And if they, if they do these, quote, unquote, Bruce Sunland type, Don Kacheri type, across the board adjustments to state... Uh, assistance in any way that we are so dependent upon, um, they could drive us into a financial situation that would create an environment that would that could lead to that. But this person would never vote to voluntarily go back into a budget commission. Thank you, Colin. I, I, I appreciate that comment. The only other thing is, do you see on the horizon the fact that with the uh, COVID problem and the businesses being closed, a rash of appeals? Uh, for tax uh, abatements and assessments, whereas we do not have a full-time tax assessor? 
that's always a possibility. And what makes you think we already haven't developed that rash? Um, <laughs> there are. I, I we got. I asked for a list of all the legal cases that are that are in front of the city, and many of them, as you know, are uh, are um, related to tax assessment appeals that are in court. So we've already got a rash. The question is, will it overtake us and knock us down? Thank you, Cole. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank right. you. I just want to uh, follow up on that. So you're saying that during, uh, and the caller was asking you about, during this period here, we're getting more challenges on tax um, tax what? bills than ever before? Oh, I don't know about the ever before, because mm-hmm. I, I haven't followed it that closely, although I'm sure the caller does follow that fairly closely. Well, that was the, his suggestion. As does Al Brian. Um and so they would know better than I certainly, but it seems to me there's a lot. And most of them, as, as has been alluded to, most of them are consistent with what happened back in the day when a, a large number of very large size taxpayers appealed their values and ended up winning or getting some settlement. Um, it costs a lot of money. And I think there's a, a lot of the larger residential developments had their values go through the roof and they're appealing and many other businesses as well that are larger, take up larger spaces. What's the problem with the uh, fireman's contract? Why was it uh, taken taken out last uh, night? By the funny, I, I just heard this morning talking with the council president, it was more of a technical matter having to do with, uh, I'm not if I'm sure, it was the lack of a financial impact statement being presented. There was some technical requirement in advertising uh, the, the contract will be settlement. Back then. Yes, there's no, I don't believe there are any issues associated with something that has changed in terms of circumstances, just something that has to be done to fulfill a technical requirement and be back. Uh, do you know, uh, this is off the agenda, I think, uh, do you know anything about the Omri uh, uh, building? And uh, and, and uh, I saw St. James Church on the menu last night to uh, St. James the Baptist Church on the, on the on the agenda. Could that abatement of taxes have something to do with the armory? It does. It's tied in with the, with the potential sale of the armory. The the tax assessor had declared that the property, and, and I think in this case rightfully so, because it wasn't being utilized for church purposes, was not exempt, and so they issued a tax bill. Uh, the, the potential owner would be looking for a tax stabilization agreement in order to make investment in the property, and we had a discussion about that at a work session. Mm-hmm. And part of that discussion was the presumption that... Um, that that rather large tax bill of close to $26,000 would go away in order to clear the path for the developer to come in and um, make an offer on the property and close and get to work on redeveloping the property into a uh, into a useful piece of property for the city. And so that abatement was... So the abatement was approved. Was approved. And Beacon? Um, Beacon, similar situation. The, Meth- the old Methodist Church on Federal Street... For many years, uh, for the last several years, was not truly operating as a church or fulfilling its tax-exempt status requirement. Um, the tax assessor had started sending a bill back in 2017. So there were three years' worth of tax bills, and as part of the settlement of closing, the prior two years were paid off as part of the settlement uh, with the seller. And the balance was carried over to Beacon Charter School as the new owner. But because Beacon Charter School is a public school and therefore tax-exempt, um, we, we were required to uh, comply with their tax exemption and abate the taxes for the 2019 tax bill. All right. That sounded kind of routine. It is. It's, yeah. it's not unusual. It happens from time to time. John Ward is with us. He's a member of the Winsaka City Council. We're looking at the council docket last night. And uh, drawing uh, information uh, from it, a chance to ask questions. And uh, so I'm going to go through the back door here on this question on the water treatment plant. You live in the neighborhood. I do. And you see all the all the activity um, going on off of uh, Jilson Avenue. And it looks like this, when it's all done and said, unless there are some prizes, uh, could come in a couple of million dollars under budget. And it looks like it's going to come in on time which yeah, is unusual no, for a public works project, right? <laughs> it, it, it can be unusual for public works projects. Um, yes, and that would be a great thing if they could finish it on time and under budget um, and get this get this transfer switched over and repave Logie Street, which has right now become the bumpiest stretch of patch I've ever encountered in my life um, because I do live in the neighborhood. Uh, frankly, I, I do need to commend them, and though I don't live that close, um, the noise 
for me anyway, that several hundred feet away is not that overwhelming. I do visit the site about once a week with my dog as I walk him down the nature trail behind Vernon Heights School to check, uh, check up on progress. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a job that I think will be well done. And uh, hopefully we'll switch over and then we'll have to make decisions about what's going to happen with the existing water treatment facilities and how they will be removed and what will happen with the land they sit on. Were you satisfied with how the school department handled the graduation of the class of 2020 with a class of over uh, 340 uh, students? Um, I, I am. They, You know, you, you make do with what you're handed in these situations, and they did a great job, and especially when they set up the stage out in front of the high school and allowed people to go to go walk across that stage in front of the um, the building where you could see the Woonsocket High School name in front of the, behind them, and it, it turned into a great presentation and taking advantage of, of video capabilities. Um, they, they basically did the best with what was available to them. They made sure that that uh, it was as visible as possible for the families and friends. Probably, you know, the, the funny thing is it, it creates an easier visibility than the actual physical presence requirement um, because people who may be from out of town who are relatives of kids who are graduating could have participated more easily um, through watching it on, on the various presentations. So it, it's got its ups and downs, but I think in the overall they did a great job. In Lincoln, uh, Twin River... In Lincoln and Tiverton, quote unquote, opened up. Uh, but however, I I don't really see them opening up all that uh, all that much. Um, but can they actually do any business uh, based on how they're inviting um, some of their preferred customers back and and all the rules and regulations? Uh, what do you think? They they are. They've got about every third machine functioning. Um, I don't know that they're getting the kind of traffic that they had hoped to get, but I don't know for sure. It's members only. The people who use their promotional cards who signed up for them are being invited to go. Um, I'm hoping it's busy because a portion of the town's revenue comes from Twin River. Uh, I'll get a better sense of it after they've been open for a couple of weeks and I can get a report on the kind of revenue they've generated. But uh, it's certainly nothing near what it was before without the limits. Because they don't have table games. I don't even know if the restaurants inside are open at this point. So it's basically slots. Did you know this is Gay Pride Month? Yes. Okay. In the month of June, and um, there is a front-page story in the call today written by Russ Olivo. And it talks about um, the council. Well, first of all, the council did approve um, uh, a resolution on Gay Pride Month. And, and part of that resolution included um, displaying the uh, the flag uh, in a uh, conspicu- conspicuous public location. I guess it was put up with the American flag and then... And the um, the missing in action Vietnam War flag was taken down, and then a decision was made to put the gay gay pride flag on another flagpole and put back the um, prison, missing in action prisoner of war flag where it was. For some reason, this became a front page story. My question is: Is this a front page story, or is this much to do about nothing? I, I think it has. Well, I wouldn't. I would never characterize something where you have constituencies that that have strong emotional contact with the issue uh, is is not a story. Um, there are strong feelings on each side of this. Um, you know, when you talk to veterans groups about the display of the POWMIA flag, which actually did start out as a reaction to the Vietnam conflict, mm-hmm. but in fact has really taken on more the characteristics of the Tomb of the Unknown, where it was started out as as being related to to one concept related to a war and turned into a universal thing. And POWMIA flag is the same thing. It, it really relates to any POWs or any MIA missing in action persons. Uh, associated with any conflict. I sort of agree with you there because I remember when the that black flag was introduced um, as uh, it wasn't well received. No, anything. it was there was there was a lot of controversy and uh, a lot of uh, dissent and so forth. That but means, it's, yeah. it's turned into be a uh, you know a nice creamy and and family and fuzzy issue now. It has meaning because there are so many there are so many. People who, especially with Vietnam's, with the Vietnamese, uh, with the POWs returning, um, there and so many missing in action, it, it it really held meaning for those people. And I think 
despite how badly we treated the Vietnam vets as they came back back in the 70s, um, over time, and especially since 9-11, uh, the, the, the appreciation of, of those people who go fight the fights and put their lives on the line and sometimes lose them and sometimes are held prisoner, it, it took on a different, there was a different sense of it. And I think the appreciation for Vietnam vets started improving a little before that, but really took hold. And that's, that's you know, you see now that pretty much every American flag has a POW MIA flag below it uh, in recognition of the sacrifice of those people who go to war. Um, and to, to remove that, to put up the... Uh, the gay pride flag or the gay flag or whatever you want to call it, the LGBTQIA plus flag, the rainbow flag. Um, to replace it, uh, I think, offended many who who um, hold strong feelings about the POWMIA flag. And I, I don't know whether that's been officially accepted as a flag um, by the government you know, every flag that's not the United States flag flies below the United States flag. So that's not an issue. Um, the question is, can you fly Can you fly only certain kinds of flags um, under the U.S. flag? And because the POW-MIA flag was already there, I guess the mayor, in, in a communication with a gentleman named uh, Barber, who represents Rhode Island Pride, um, decided or agreed or were persuaded to move it to the gazebo and put the POWMIA flag back up. Is one right and one wrong? Obviously, Councilman Kithis and Senator Murray, based on the story, take offense to it being moved back. Um, because, as they say, it's only one month out of 12, and the POWMIA flag will be back up there for the rest of the year, and the POWMIA flag is on every other flag stanchion in the city including City Hall. Um, so to take one spot to them seems not that important. Um, on the other hand, if you ask a veteran or a former POW, uh, they may take exception to that. That's Jeff? a very difficult thing to negotiate. Mr. Jeff? Yeah, it's a, it's a very important flag, in my opinion. It's transcended since Vietnam. I mean, we can still send the Air Force overseas. A jet pilot gets shot down, he becomes a POW. So this is not a... Uh, simply a history lesson, still an ongoing thing in today's military. I think some of the discomfort of the time period was really maybe an inflection on America. Did we support our troops enough during Vietnam? Did we do enough to get our POWs and MIAs out? Who some never made it out of the country they were being captive in. Um, and the story of the call for making it a call, saying that uh, Melissa Murray, State Senator Melissa Murray and Councilman Alex Kethis objected to it is putting it lightly. They actually refer to it as the equivalent of giving the L, not, uh, LBGT. LGBT. No. Uh, Let's get our letters right, guys. LGBTQIA+. Plus. Now, I never heard of IA+. Plus. Do you, what does that mean? Uh, Do you know? I'll have to look that up. That, that's one I never heard of until you just said it a moment ago. Um, referring it to as a middle finger to all the LBGTQ community in the one IA+, plus, whatever it was, Councilman Ward said, uh, and a slap in the face and an insult, I believe Councilman Kitts has called it an insult, that the LGBTQ flag was not looked at as an equivalent of a POW flag or looked, looked at as beneath the, you know, it's, yeah, as important as it is, it does have a, a prominent display place, and they're calling uh, the city council and uh, the administration really out for reneging on the initial resolution that was presented. But uh, they really are not equivalent. Well, let's get one thing clear. Um, this city councilman didn't know a mm -hmm. damn thing about it until Correct. long after it had already occurred because it wasn't part of a city council decision. This was, I believe... What was the vote you took on The that? vote we took was to put a flag up in Monument Square. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't specific to Paul's Monument I've Square. I've lived in the city the vast majority of my life, and when I didn't live in the city, I either lived a little bit over the border in North Smithfield mm -hmm. when I was a young boy, and I was born in Cumberland. But, or I was born in Woonsocket, but lived in Cumberland for about a year. Um, so I've driven by Market Square, and um, unless it's a windy day, I, I 
hardly ever remembered seeing a flagpole in Market Square. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a shock to me to see that, oh, they're talking about a flagpole that's actually there. Um, and it's not that I don't pay attention, but after a while you just stop seeing things because it's just part of the landscape. Um, so I would now, when I drive by there, I see the flag on the gazebo, and it sort of hits you in the face as you come down South Main Street, you come around the corner, no matter where you are, you see it on the gazebo. But many people don't even notice the other flagpole. I, I Frankly, I was, I was surprised to learn that that was part of that development. The other interesting thing in the article, Roger, is miscommunication or lack of communication between the group and the administration on the event itself. Initially, they had a flag-raising ceremony. I guess it was called off, according to the piece, uh, due to the protest that was starting to occur following Mr. Floyd's death. Um, and then they decided to put it back on. And the impression I had from reading the article is there was no real city official there to handle that moment. Uh, and the flag was simply returned to City Hall. Who, who's, who's handling the flag? Who's handling the flag mass? And that Again, should I, I that think, be I think done the, without employees? I think Mr. Barber and whatever other group locally was coordinating this were the ones that simply put the flag up and took the POWMA flag down and handed it over for returning to the city oh. as a temporary measure. Um, but as I said, there's strong emotions on both sides of this argument. New uh, topic coming up. By the way, it's it's uh, intersex and asexual or allied. Oh, thank you. I'll look that up and see what that means. <laughs> All right, final topic here. Um, I wanted to uh, talk to you because this hasn't been discussed too often. But um, with the coronavirus, Woonsocket is one of the pivotal cities of infection. Um, Providence, Pawtucket, Central Falls... And Woonsocket is always mentioned. And you can see that uh, we have one of our nursing homes, uh, Oakland Grove, is uh, a facility that uh, has received or has a Section 4 only coronavirus. Let's drive our numbers up, doesn't it? It does. And also um, the fact that Thunder Mist is um, a key center now for testing in the state. And almost anybody can go there for any test at all. And the fact that we have six active nursing homes in the city of Woonsocket, um, where a lot of, uh, a lot of this activity has been taking place. Um, I was wondering, we never really talk about it. Here we are doing an interview. Uh, we never really talk about the Woonsocket impact. We're a close uh, community with a lot of uh, three-family houses, some families, uh, six families. We have four high-rises. Can you talk to me about your impressions of the Woonsocket um, role in the coronavirus? Well, two things. Uh, I believe every time I check the rankings, though Woonsocket is the sixth most densely populated or the most highly populated city in the state, we generally rank around eighth. Or eighth, eighth for deaths. Eighth. Yeah. Um, which means we're mm -hmm. actually proportionally better than mm -hmm. most communities because technically we should be sixth, no? Mm -hmm. The other thing that's important is you, you answered your own question in, in pointing out that we have a higher number proportionally of nursing homes and congregate care facilities that are the places where these things have been spreading. We also have a location for, for uh, as one of the places where they move COVID-19 patients who need care. So, naturally, we're going to have a higher proportion than most. But, in fact, I think I would love to see if somebody could take the state numbers, and I'm not going to do it myself because it's just, I'm not. But I would, love to take, <laughs> I would love to take all of the nursing home and congregate care cases out of the numbers and re-rank the communities and see how things stack up then. Because, quite frankly, once you get the 80% of the cases that take place in those facilities out of the numbers you're going to see a more meaningful um, set of data that tells you how prevalent and and uh, how much traveling this virus has done across the general population that gets out of bed every morning, goes to work, goes to the store, puts their mask on, does all the things they're being asked to do. And I suspect that it's a fairly low ratio relative to or a comparable ratio relative to population in the rest of the state yeah well adding your qualifying factors uh, to your answer um then uh, your uh, answer is that uh, we, we probably we did bad. Pretty, yeah we probably did okay yeah yeah all right relatively speaking all right I, i'm glad to hear that 
the purpose of the question. I mean, is President, does Cranston get all of the measurements for every prisoner that's got it? You know, it, it distorts the numbers. Be back in a moment. Here's a big thank you to public safety. There's our police officers protecting and serving all citizens. Thank you. There's our EMTs responding to medical emergencies. Thank you. And our firefighters protecting life and property. Thank you. In these times of national debate, let it be known the people support and respect those who have dedicated their professional lives to keeping us safe and secure. Did we say thank you? Thank you. This announcement is proudly sponsored by the Eston and Richard Insurance Agency, 342 Park Avenue, Woonsocket. The coronavirus is still with us, and the dedicated workers in hospitals, screening sites, nursing homes, and all the public health agencies continue their efforts to keep us safe and secure until conditions change for the better. Chamberlain Business Services salutes our frontline professionals for their dedication to us, and please practice social distancing in public places. Chamberlain is a business accounting firm helping small businesses with accounting, consulting, payroll, and tax services to help save time and money. Chamberlain Business Accounting. Find us at ChamberlainCO.com. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, we've got a little time here with John uh, Ward. John, uh, anything you'd like to comment off the uh, top of your head? Off the top of my head, yes. And before you ask me, I'll answer the question, yes, I'm running for city council again. Are you running for city council again? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That takes care of that. No, I didn't want to make it too lengthy an answer. Um, Thank now, you. I appreciate uh, that. Under, under stupid news, um, I just something I saw this morning. There's, there's a gentleman who's the Bristol County Sheriff. His name is Tom Hodgson. Happens to be a Republican. And, and in 2003, in 2003, he put on a tie for his photo to be taken that he put on the website of the Bristol County Sheriff's mm-hmm. Office. And the tie happens had a red background, and it had a blue stripe, and it had white stars on it in the blue stripe. And, of course, you know, you have white stars on a blue background and red and white stripes in a flag. And so he thought it was a patriotic thing to do, so he wore this flag for his formal picture. And it's been posted on their website um, forever, pretty much, while he's been in this position. And as it turns out now, because we're in 2021, uh, people are allowed... 2020. 2020. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, see, I think fiscally. Yeah. Um, 2020, uh, people are allowed to accuse people of things that aren't actually true. And so he has now been accused of supporting the Confederacy and wearing a, fl- a tie yeah. that resembles a Confederate flag. Absolutely. Are you ready for this? The Bristol County for Correctional Justice said it's holding a rally in a car caravan on Thursday to demand his resignation. Absolutely. Because of a tie he wore in 2003. I'm running city council council because this world has gone stupid. And I want to still serve you in a rational way using thought, debate, discussion, and consensus. Thank you for joining us today. It's been my pleasure, sir. (laughs) Always a pleasure having John Ward with us. Bye-bye, everybody. See you tomorrow. This has been WNRI's Upfront. Presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380 WNRI Woonsocket.